Thank you, Mon. Um, isn't it great just to stop and actually pause like that? And um, we don't do it enough. Just as Sam comes up to speak, and I'm excited to hear what he's got to say on Acts because we're continuing the series. Just want to prepare your heart for, for a moment. After the sermon, we're going to have a bit of time for ministry. And just to be uh, opening up the floor here to encourage you to come forward and pray and um, share your gifts with each other. So just have that in mind as we hear from Sam this morning. Um, I'm really looking forward to that. It's the heart of the Insights team and the leadership team to create more space um, for fellowship in, in new ways and to actually encourage each other with our gifts. So just wanted to say that ahead of that. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, and Mon, Mon prayed that there'd be participation. I think it's a really important word. Um, and, and Kathy uh, enabled us to have that right from the get-go, that we were singing to one another. It's not just singing to the screen or the stage or to God. So participation, and that's what we really want to be uh, instilling at the end of this time. So I'm going to try and be shorter than normal. That, that was a joke. That was a joke. Uh, and <laughs> just to give us some space and some time. And so, look, as we open up the Word, we just pray that the Lord be speaking to you, uh, that you would feel a sense and, and a desire to participate uh, in, in the fellowship this morning. So, Lord, we just uh, come before you now as we open up your Word. Lord, we thank you for your Word, that it is, uh, that it is important to take hold of, but also to, to act upon. Well, Lord, we just pray that you'd open up our spiritual eyes, not just our, our theological or mind's eyes, but our spiritual eyes, Lord, to see you at work, see what you're saying to us, what you're speaking to us. Holy Spirit, that you'd be evident in this place, touching lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I just wanted to, before I get into it, say my name's Sam Barnes. I'm the pastor here at the Hills. Welcome if you're new, uh, potentially if you're online watching for the first time or you're listening to this podcast later on, perhaps you're driving in your car. I just want to say hello to you as you do that. I trust that you'll be sensing the Lord amongst us as we gather together. The early church is what we're looking at. Uh, we're going to go be going through the, the book of Acts. Uh, last week, we talked about the Acts of the Apostles, and I mentioned that I didn't like that title. It's more likely the Acts of the Holy Spirit because Luke is uh, engaged in and enabling us to see the work of the Spirit moving out from Jerusalem into the world. It's not about the people necessarily, but it's about following what God is doing, following the message of the gospel. And last week, uh, Acts chapter 1 really is an introduction. It's a crossover between the gospels and the continuing story of what happened for the early church. Uh, the, the Gospels end with, with the Ascension and the, the Great Commission and the Ascension, uh, and, and Acts also has that, but it gives us a bit more detail. It talks about the 40 days where Jesus met with and taught with the apostles, uh, preparing them for what was ahead of them. And uh, so there was this 40 days, and then they had to wait in Jerusalem for 10 days for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, I was hoping that when we did this series that, at Pentecost, literally for us in 2022, we'd be doing Acts 2, uh, but it hasn't quite worked out that way. So we're going to be finishing uh, the end of chapter 1 and next week and the week after we're going to be looking at Pentecost, which is actually on the 12th, which is when we've got our all-in service. But that's okay. 
Uh, I talked about the major themes in Acts, and it's important to notice the major themes because when you read it, things jump out at you when you are made aware of things. And so when we look at the the major themes, uh, they're, they're written there. And I went in greater detail last week, but I love the, the, the bottom one there, the humanity of the disciples. I think uh, this comes out uh, through and through uh, Luke's writing in the book of Acts. And what I want us to be doing throughout this whole series is be asking ourselves three questions at the end of every time together. Three really important questions. And um, as you place yourself in the narrative of Acts, um, Acts is the continuing story of what God is doing. And you are involved in that story. Acts is not a closed book. And so Acts is still happening today as his spirit, his commission is going out into us as we're empowered like the the first disciples to go out into the world. So as you see yourself perhaps even there, present, happening, what's going on, what are you surprised by? And what are you challenged by in your own thinking? Because we see so often the disciples having to be challenged in their own made-up theology or their, uh, their understanding of what the kingdom was about and those sorts of things. So this is a really important question to be asking ourselves. What surprises you? What perhaps have you maybe learnt in your upbringing, uh, maybe a different uh, background that you've come from and that you, you, you think about? But as you read and engage with the text, what challenges that? Secondly, as we learn the distinctives and the priorities of the early church, what can we discover or apply? They met every day. There's an example. How, how are we meeting and coming together? And thirdly, as you read through the story of Acts, what is Jesus personally saying to you? I think probably whenever we read through the word, not necessarily just Acts, but that's an important question to be asking. What is Jesus saying to you through the word? So Luke is the author of Acts, as he was the author of the Gospel of Luke. And this is his uh, second volume in a way. Now Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. He was actually a very smart and intelligent person. In fact, if you are studying Greek, uh, you might want to start with, with John because it's very kind of local vernacular um, talking and it's easier to read if you're studying Greek. Don't go to Luke because Luke is one smart guy. He writes in the classical Greek. And what he does is he brings out emphases. He, he brings out details. He, he likes to study. He likes to bring an ordered account. And he wrote that in his introduction. I want to bring an orderly account to you, Theophilus. And so have you ever read a book by a smart person and you find it difficult to read, <laughs> difficult language, and you have to read sentences three or four times? This is the, the type of writing because, because he wants us to get a, some detail into our understanding of what happened in the early church. Just quickly reiterating three things from last week. The Gospels, Jesus began his ministry. Acts, he continues his ministry. And it's through the Holy Spirit's empowerment and it's not of the people's own strength. Sometimes we can run with our own strength and think we can do things for God, but it's not unless we have the Spirit's empowerment that um, things can happen. And Luke follows this message. So we see the disciples last week gazing into the sky. As Jesus ascends, 
They're sitting there going, wow, that's an amazing thing that just happened. And, th- and two uh, robed men, potentially angels, come and say, why are you gazing up at the sky? And that's where we left last week. John Stott says there were two challenges. There we go. The disciples were challenged in their thinking. Remember how they said, is your kingdom going to come now? They're thinking about an earthly kingdom as as throughout the Gospels we see this understanding that they don't comprehend what the kingdom of God is. So they had to be challenged in their understanding of they had, they had a false um, understanding of activism, of, of going out. And in the same way, standing at the sky, a false idea of pietism. And it's not about activism or just standing around in a heavenly holy place but it's the two together and in fact i want to say that the acts great commission is earthly responsibility via a heavenly enabling if you want to think about the whole theme of acts it's right there we see luke say it's the great commission being outworked in their lives not in their own strength but via a heavenly enabling the holy spirit and before this happened, Jesus talked about, you'll be my witnesses in, in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There's these ever-widening circles as the gospel spreads out uh, into the world. And many of you know that all the books of the Bible have, um, have a structure to them. A bit like when we're writing essays, we'd do an intro and we'd make some points and do a conclusion. And we've put in the chapters and verses to make it easier to go through because we don't read books as a whole really anymore. But Luke also has a structure. And I don't know if you'd noticed this, but Luke's structure actually follows Jesus' own commission. In chapter 1, we have the witness where we're talking about uh, how Jesus appeared to the disciples and gave many proofs. He was there, he ate with them, he met with them, uh, he, he talked with them. And so, so these disciples, these early churches are bearing witness to this Jesus who once was dead is now alive and walking amongst us. They're witnessing to the resurrection. And the coming of the Spirit is the early church in Jerusalem is established and they, they start working out what it means to meet together, to to pray together, to worship the Lord in this new uh, community called the church. But then there's some persecution and some opposition to them, which actually forces them out from Jerusalem into the surrounding areas of Judea and Samaria. And then Luke follows the message, and he's no longer interested in what's happening in Jerusalem. Now he's interested in what's happening in Samaria and and Judea and the surrounding areas. And and a church is established in Antioch. And it's from that church that the first international uh, missionaries are sent. And from there, Luke is interested in how that is then spread out to the ends of the earth. So you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's the structure of Luke. Isn't that interesting? I find that really fascinating. So we're going to continue this morning and we're going to look at the rest of chapter one. And some of you might, when you read the rest of this, go, well, what's, there's not really all that much in that. Uh, what are you going to draw out of that? And I just want to say the, the word is amazing. 
Because even even a sentence or the mention of a name can actually bring about some really interesting points. So if you've got your Bibles, and I, I also want to say it's really would be a really good thing, not just through this series, but if you've got a, a physical Bible to read, because you can flick through it and you can actually underline stuff and write on it and remember what was, was taught as we, as we teach through the story of Acts. All right, I said I was going to be quicker, didn't I? We haven't even started yet. All right. <laughs> from, from, from verse 12, they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. So they were on the Mount of Olives as, as Jesus is uh, ascended into heaven, a Sabbath day walk. Uh, some, some say that that is the distance between the furthest tent in, in the, the old uh, Israel and the tabernacle because they didn't want to have to walk on the Sabbath day because that was work. Uh, so how, how far can the, the furthest person walk and not have to work to get to the worship is a Sabbath day journey um, from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Now, whether that's the same room that they had as the Last Supper or whether that's a different room, we don't necessarily know, but they were staying together. That's an important thing to mention. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Althephus and Simon the Zealot. The Zealots were sort of militants for making the Jewish world happen on earth, and Judas, the son of James. Now, you might just look at a list and go, well, so what? He's just listed some thing, some people. But what's really interesting is, is, is Luke's, uh, the way he's, he's listed what, who's here. Because number one, uh, if you look at the way the disciples are listed in, in the Gospels, they're often paired in family units. So Simon and Andrew are brothers and James and John are brothers. But here he starts to split up the, the family, sort of saying, starting to talk about, well, the new church, the new family isn't necessarily just about um, blood brothers, but it's about the spiritual brothers and family that we have. And Peter is named first. Good old Peter is always first, isn't he? Peter is first uh, in, in most of the lists. Jesus said on, on this rock I'll build my church, talking to Peter, and Peter stands up at Pentecost, preaches the first sermon, and, and the first people come to faith. Peter is, a, is a, an amazing person to, to study. But what's really interesting is that as we go through Acts, Peter disappears. Luke no longer is interested in what Peter is doing, but in the message. And so it is not necessarily about the person, about the gifts, about uh, the order of importance, because you put the first people first, don't you, in a list. And even today when people are giving speeches, they'll say, oh, welcome to the, the queen that's here and to blah, 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 and they go down until the plebs are at the bottom. Um, and so... Uh, Peter is obviously the, the importance, but as you go through the story, and this is one of the themes that I keep bringing back, is that Luke's not interested in the people necessarily. He's interested in the message. He's interested in the spirit at work transforming the world. And so it's not about necessarily a person. It's not about me. It's not a, 
I'm going to say something. It's not about you. <laughs> it's about Jesus. It's about the gospel. And that's what we want to see at work. And we see particularly this as, as something as interesting because later on as we look, in, look through Acts, James, who is Jesus' brother, actually takes over a leadership position from Peter. Peter submits to James as the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And so um, here's, here's an, an interesting um, thought, and Paul talks about this in Corinthians. Here's the witness, and he, that is Jesus, appeared to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at the same time, most of who are still living. So when Paul writes this, People who witnessed the living Jesus were still around. And you could go, go talk to Bob. He saw him. And go talk to that guy over there and that lady over there. Um, and most of whom are still living. And then he appeared to James. So that is James, Jesus' brother. I'm going to talk about the brothers in a moment because that's another interesting point. So it's... So Peter is first here, but then he fades away, keeping on reading so that we keep going. They all joined together, participation, constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Okay, so again, just this list is given of who was there, who was present, and we might just gloss over that. But there's some really important things I want to bring out in this. First of all, the women. The women were present with the men. Now, in that world and in that culture, that was a big thing. Even in Jewish culture, that was a big thing. Uh, the, the temple worship system was set up in such a way that, the, that you enter his courts and it's the courts of the Gentiles. The, the biggest section of the, of the old temple was that people from all walks of life, all worlds, could come and worship God. And that was the point of the, the Israel. They were supposed to be a light to the nations. And, so, and it was in these courts of the Gentiles that they set up the marketplaces that Jesus went in and tore them apart because Jesus' message was to the world, to everyone. So you had the court of the Gentiles, and then you went through a gate, through a wall, through a barrier into the next section. The Gentiles couldn't come through that. Only the Jewish people could. And then the Jewish people had a court, and then you had another barrier, another wall, another gate you went through that only the men could go to. And then only the priests beyond that, and then only the high priest into the Holy of Holies to offer the sacrifice on behalf of the people. So you see these barriers these distinctions, and here in a new community, the new church, we don't have barriers. We don't have distinctions. The women are together, and I want to preach and say to you women, you are an important part of our church. You have a voice. uh, You have gifts. You have a, a, a way of participating in the body, and we see that right from the outset in the early church. In Galatians, Paul says, In Christ's family there can be no division, no dividing wall, no barrier into Jew or non-Jew, slave or free, male or female. Among us you are no equal. Paul doesn't give any other 
genders there, by the way. It's male or female, the way we're created. So that, that's an interesting. The women are there. Next, the mother of Jesus, Mary, is there. Do you know that this is the last time in the pages of Scripture that Jesus' mother is actually mentioned? It's at the first point of the coming together before Pentecost. After that, Mary's not mentioned. Now, I say that because some traditions would try and elevate Mary beyond the position that the Scriptures clearly uh, put her in and that Jesus himself talks about. Jesus in Luke, when someone comes up to him and says, there's a, um, a woman in the crowd called out, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you, trying to elevate and give, give worth to, to Mary. And he replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Poof, wow. So, yeah, sorry, mum. There were times where he, went, he was ministering in a house and, the, and his brothers going to talk about this in a moment, and his mothers came and said, you're crazy. Get him out of there. Like, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's gone mental. And he says, who are my brothers and my, my, my mother and my brothers, those who are here with me, obeying and doing the will of myself? So that's an interesting point. And, second, and thirdly, the brothers are there. Now, the brothers... Pre-resurrection were unbelievers. They grew up with Jesus. They ate with him. They played with him. They heard him talk. They were close to him. And yet they didn't believe in him. It was only until after the resurrection, again, when he appeared to James, that they then believed I want to say, when you meet the risen Jesus, there is a change that happens. Have you met the risen Lord Jesus in your life? Have you come into a relationship with him? Are you perhaps a bit like the brothers, and he had sisters as well, who before the resurrection had your doubts? Well, one way of undoing those doubts is to open yourself up and say, Lord Jesus, who is alive and who is here, we have an opportunity afterwards, come into my life. Make yourself known to me. Come and make your home in my heart. Make, be real. And so just like the brothers, they had a, had a change. He had, he had at least three brothers, all J names, James, uh, Joseph, which was another name for Joseph, um, Jesus and Judas, not the Judas, Judas was a, a big name, and, and Simon. Poor Simon didn't get a J name. Uh, he was a bit left out. But all these brothers are listed now. The brothers are there, the unbelievers after the resurrection come to faith because they've met him. I think it's an important note to mention for all of us is to meet the risen Lord Jesus. And 
they all joined together in brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. Interesting to note the number 120 was the number that for a new community to be formed and have its own governance had to be a group of 120 people. So here we have a new group forming, a new community, the church, with its own governance, with its own leaders, the apostles, leading this, this group of community of believers. And he said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. Peter quotes from, in a moment, Psalm 69 and 109. And you can look those up in your own time. And as we and he, he mentions that Jesus that David is a human author, yet within the Psalms and within the prophets there is a prophetic nature to many of the writings. David would have just been writing about a situation that was happening in his life. Yet inspired and by the Spirit, it is a prophetic word about either Jesus himself that was going to come to pass. And so that's why Peter says um, it had to be fulfilled. These words about Jesus, all these words about Judas, had to be fulfilled, that Judas was going to betray Jesus. I just want to stop here because Peter is a fisherman. Peter is unschooled, as it says later on in Acts. How can these unschooled men do such amazing things? Where does Peter get this inspiration, get this theological knowledge, this understanding of the Scriptures? Quoting Psalms and saying, this psalm is about Judas and it has to be fulfilled. It's a pretty amazing transformation, don't you think, from a fisherman to a Bible student? (laughs) Well, a couple of things that might have brought that about. Luke himself talks about when when Jesus, after the resurrection, how he would just meet with them and eat with them. He'd just turn up in rooms. There was this one occasion where he says, this is what I told you while I was with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, prophets, and the Psalms. So this is what Peter is saying. This has to be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. I wonder if Peter had his mind opened at that moment. That they could start to understand the, the meaning of the scriptures and the prophetic words that are in them. Have you ever had your mind opened to the scriptures? Have you ever had been reading and all of a sudden something just jump out at you? that you maybe hadn't thought of before, that just changes you and affects you in in an amazing way. My prayer is that as we go through Acts that there will be many jump-out moments. I remember in my life a particular time I was was reading through where, where the Scriptures say, and the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is alive in you. And I read it for the first time, and I said, that can't be right. Because I had in my own mind, my own thinking, I had to be challenged. So 
what, did that just say what I thought it said? I had to back up and read it again. It, it, what? <laughs> I had the scriptures opened up to me. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is alive in me. He's alive in you. Wow. I pray that you would have your spiritual eyes open, that the scriptures be unveiled to you. So Peter here is doing an amazing thing, but he applies it. He doesn't just take the words of scripture and go, that's a nice thought. That's something that might be something good for someone else to do. Now he reads the words of scripture and he goes, this prophecy has to be fulfilled, so I've got to act upon it. I can't just read the words and say that's a nice thing, but we act upon what it does. We apply what it is to our lives. And so he does that. He applies that in the next little part. And he talks about... Judas, with the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field and there he fell headlong. His body burst open and his intestines spilled out. Those are the words of a fisherman, (laughs) isn't it? Thanks for the gory details. Do we really need that? (laughs) Now, Some of you might be reading that and going, hang on a minute, didn't Judas hang himself? Here you're describing the fact that he's body burst open and his intestines spilled out. It's a different account, isn't it? Potentially, and some scholars would say, well, he hung himself and the rope broke and broke the, or broke the branch and he fell on a rock and potentially. But what we do have is a gory detail of that. And everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, that is the field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, and this is what he's saying, may his place be deserted, this is Judas, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place in leadership. May another take his place in leadership. So he takes this prophetic word and he applies it. He says, well, another has to take Judas's place. So why does someone have to take Judas's place? Why can't just the 11 apostles go out and take on the Great Commission? It's an interesting question. But before I get to that question, I've got another question. That is about Judas. Do you ever ask the question, if Jesus is all-knowing, why did he pick Judas in the first place? If, if he knew that Jesus was going to betray him, uh, Judas was going to betray Jesus, sorry, why, why choose this fellow? And I've often grappled with that. I don't know if you have. And as I was was thinking about this this week, this thought came to mind, and that is the incarnation. See, Jesus came into our world to experience everything that we experience, to understand the human condition in order to take our place on the cross. And for, for Jesus to know what it means to be betrayed by a friend means that he can empathise and know what we go through in our life. He hasn't gone through anything that we don't ourselves go through. And so we can come to him knowing that he knows us. So I think that's potentially part of the reason that Jesus allowed 
this to happen. Also, it had to be fulfilled in Scripture that he would be betrayed. Um, and so it's necessary to replace this man, Judas. Why? Did you know that the number of 11, 11 is the number of chaos in the Jewish tradition? So to have 11 apostles leading might not feel right. The number 12 is the number of perfection, which is why we have 12 tribes in Israel. But I want to maybe suggest that there is a new community, a new people uh, being established, the new church. And just as Israel had 12 tribes, so now the new church has 12 leaders to lead it. Or perhaps Peter again is looking into Scripture or he's remembering the words of Jesus and he remembers the time that that Jesus says to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, the Son of Man who sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me, the twelve, will also sit on twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. This is a messianic uh, picture here we have of, of the coming kingdom. Maybe Peter is remembering this and going, well, there's, there's going to be 12 thrones and the 12 apostles are going to be judging with Jesus. There needs to be 12 of us. And so Judas is no longer with them. There is this need to replace him. Two minutes. I've got... I came across a quote in my study Bible this week as I was thinking about Judas. And I was thinking about this, this comment. And it said these words, those privileged to be close to the truth are not necessarily committed to the truth. Now, I don't know about you, but are you challenged by that statement? Jesus was the truth. So we could change those words and say, those privileged to be close to Jesus are not necessarily committed to Jesus. Perhaps some of us are close to the truth. We come, we, we sing, we believe, but are we submitted to the Lordship of Christ in our lives? Are we committed to him above all things? That might be one of those questions that we ask ourselves as we, we look through the scriptures. Okay, so then I've, given, I've been given a time limit. Therefore, it's necessary to choose. And how do they choose? They give a criteria for an apostle. This is important. We can't just pick any Joe Blow, but we've got to pick someone who is there from the beginning, from the baptism of Jesus right until the ascension. We know that Jesus had 12 disciples, but he also had other followers at the time. There would have been others that were around at the time, so they, they, they narrowed down this criteria of what is necessary for an apostle. An apostle is the one that speaks on Jesus' behalf. It is his ambassador. It is the one who is called by Jesus uh, with a particular task. So we can't just have someone who came to faith, maybe Jesus' brothers, James, can't be an apostle because we can't. He wasn't there at, at the beginning. He didn't see all these things and wasn't taught because it's the apostles' teaching that the church is church is founded on. 
We see that in the Nicene Creed, that one holy Catholic, Catholic with a little c, which means universal, we are part of the Catholic universal church, and apostolic church, based on the teachings of the disciples. Why? Because the apostles, because the apostles were with Jesus. They were his spokesmen. His teaching was then led through them. So we've got this criteria, and they narrowed it down to two people. (laughs) There's only two that meet the criteria, and they cast lots. You think, hang on a minute, seems like luck, doesn't it? Casting lots was a common thing in the Old Testament. Uh, When a priest didn't know the will of God, he had two rocks, I think they're called the Umin and the Thurman or something, and 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 they rolled it, and they they believed that that would that would that God would make the lot happen, and we you know we see that in um, Jonah casting lots, things like that. And and so we've got this crazy thing happening where they they felt it right to cast lots, and we might look at that and go, well, that's not really really getting Jesus to choose. But they pray and they look at your Bibles, and they say. Jesus, that you would choose the right one. Now, this is the last time that casting lots is ever done again. Never again does the church cast lots to decide something. Why is that? Because they've now got the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit comes upon them. Now they have the spirit that will guide them in all truth. They don't, they don't need to, to do this, this thing anymore. And it's the same with us. As we come and make a decision, we have the spirit in us that leads us in truth. We don't leave things to chance, that we're guided and we're led by the spirit. Last thing, Kathy. <laughs> that is, I just want to talk about what Peter does. And it's what we should all do. He looks at the scripture. He understands it. He has his mind open to it. And he applies it in his life. That should be what we do as well. We read the scripture. Maybe we're challenged. Maybe we're surprised. Maybe it's different to what we thought. But we submit to his lordship. And we apply it in our lives. Thanks. Thank you, Sam. Well, as mentioned, we're going to have a time of ministry now. And uh, there's an opportunity for you to respond and come forward. I've been a Christian 30-plus years now. And if you ask me what was the key moments, I always look back. And I don't understand why it works this way, but stepping forward... And actually coming out and receiving, there's something in that where the Lord will meet you there. And so I want to encourage you, if you haven't done that before or if you've done it many times before, that we want to just open up this space. It's a good thing you sit at the back because there's room. <laughs> um, but as we just have a song and, and some fellowship, uh, we'd love to meet you and pray with you. And if you've got a word for someone or you've got something that you want to bring forward, like let's just open it up. Let's just see where the Holy Spirit leads us. But let's be bold and receive from the Lord. Thanks, guys.
Let's stand. Any time during this song is a time to respond and uh, there'll be people here to pray with you or you might just want to sit on your own and respond to the Lord. This is a song, a response song and um, it might be the, that God uses some of these words to prompt a response in our hearts. you again if you want prayer if you uh, just want to receive from Jesus this morning just come out the front we'll pray for you and uh, let's just keep that attitude of prayer going guys and we'll just keep the song playing here and um, yeah just just hear what Jesus might be saying to you this morning and just submit to him had a picture of uh, shark shark jaws that are coming down and applying pressure and had a similar uh, vision in our prayer evening on, on Thursday night. I just got a sense there's someone here who is going through something that is causing pressure on in your life. The, the stress that we spoke about with stop what you're doing, you're stressed. There's pressure and it's it's overwhelming and it's crushing you taking all the joy out of your life Jesus says take upon me my my yoke is easy my burden is light that you'd come and find freedom in him that you'd give it over to him and see him work in your life empowered by the spirit so if that's you I just encourage you to just come and receive prayer that that burden be gone be lifted the pressure gone in your life. Thank you.
just while we're praying out the front here, um, yeah, you're welcome to just continue in an attitude of prayer. And um, yeah, we'll just uh, we'll probably just keep playing the music and close. But if you want to um, make your way and have some morning tea and fellowship with each other, I just encourage you, like you might have uh, a word on your heart for somebody else as well. And that we have a um, opportunity just to share with each other. That it's not just participation by watching, but we can actually have our gifts expressed. And so that's our real heart here is that you can yeah, enjoy and be a part of that. Um, but we'll continue. Yeah, and uh, we'll open up the back too. So if you want to head out that way, uh, that'd be great. But thank you so much for joining this morning. And thanks to Sam for that word. It was wonderful. Thanks, team. I'll just pray as we close. Yeah, Heavenly Father, look, we are just so privileged to know who you are and to be to be your children at the end of the day, that we have a place of um, extreme confidence in who you are and what you're doing. And we submit ourselves to you and ask for the obedience, that we will be obedient and know how to follow you in a way that's pleasing. But Lord, that we do that in confidence of who you are and your grace. And um, But we want to experience you more and and have the feeling of your spirit. As Sam said, in the, we're not casting lots. We're, uh, we're hearing from you directly. And um, yeah, you're moving in this place and you're moving in us. And we, just, uh, we submit it to you, Lord. Help us to, to actually really outwork that and to know you more. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Bless you, folks. Thanks, team.